I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, and joining us in studio is Leanne Morse. She's the bereavement coordinator at Primary Children's Hospital. And as a part of Healthy Mind Matters and Intermountain Healthcare, we've been trying to, and I think this has been very successful too, to equate taking care of our mental and emotional health at the same level as we've been paying attention to our physical health. And that, of course, leads us to the discussion of death and dying and letting go. So, Leanne, your position at Primary Children's is fairly new. Yes, actually, this position um, was started a couple of years ago, and it was designated to work with families whose children had died. And, and that in itself is, is what they say, one of the most difficult losses, because you're saying a child of mine should not outlive a parent. Mm. You know, I, I like the way you phrase that, and this is how I've had it described to me by parents. If your parents die, you're an orphan. If your spouse dies, you're a widow. But if your child dies, there's no name for it. That's how horrific and emotionally draining it is. And, and yet the stories are different. When you see at Primary Children's, I'm sure, Leanne, in the years of volunteering, the, the years of participation you've had, there are parents who have had children at the hospital fighting cancer over long-term illnesses that have to let go of their children. There are children who are brought in on the helipad in traumatic circumstances. So for have you seen that grief manifests itself very differently parent-to-parent, situation-to-situation? Certainly, that's true. I mean, families that have had a child with a complex illness have a longer time to live with their situation and an impending um, end of the child's life. And then, of course, there's the families whose child has um, completed suicide or been in a traumatic car wreck or a snowmobile accident or something completely unexpected. And that's the way a child dies as well as the relationship that the parent has or the siblings have with that child impacts how they navigate uh, their grief and their mourning. And even that has some complexities in it, the relationship. In other words, whether we were feeling like we had a good, close relationship before the child passed away impacts our grieving. It, it impacts our grieving. It impacts how we feel. How do are we are we angry? Are we are we guilty? Are we just deeply sorrowful and sad? And all of those feelings, plus many more, kind of evolve and and grow and change throughout the rest of the the 
a parent's life as well as the siblings. What do we know now about grief? We used to always say there are certain stages that everyone will go through as we try to understand psychologically and emotionally what people are experiencing with grief. What do we know now? You know, um, I get that question frequently. And we we don't we certainly we don't talk so much about it as being tasks or excuse me as being uh, stages as being tasks things that we experience so how we accept the death how we emotionally grieve how we navigate uh, the child's death or the loved one's death as well as how do we move forward and live our life um, with that person being physically gone but eternally being present in our lives so we look at it more of tasks throughout our lifetime. Now, thousands of patients come through the doors of Primary Children's Hospital. Um, what are the, re- the difficult statistics? How many children die um, at Primary Children's Hospital? So we have tens of thousands of children come through Primary Children's Hospital and Intermountain facilities. At Primary Children's Hospital in 2018, we had, of the tens of thousands that have come through, 181 children who have been associated with the hospital either die at Primary Children's or or go home and die on hospice. So that is the actual numbers that we work with. And tell me what your department does to help support those families when they lose a child. So the first thing that happens is our CEO, Katie Welke, reaches out with a personal note to... um, can express her sadness and sorrow at the death of their child. And then we follow up with a series of mailings that go out over the first year. We also offer grief groups free of charge to families for families in the fall. We offer it for dads in the winter, and we offer it for moms each month. All of those groups are free. I actually reach out and call every family who has had a child die about two or three months after the death has occurred. And if families need access to resources in the community, if they want to meet with the medical team, if they even want to meet with me as a clinician, those resources are available free of charge. When you say there's a few months before you meet with them, is that because that is a time that it tends to be more vulnerable or tender for parents? Well, what we know is that the first, you know, the first month is there's some adjustment to the death. Some of the, there may be shock, there may be some details that they need to navigate. Um, And then also we have our regular social workers that reside at the hospital that reach out to see if they want to talk to the medical team. Um, We know many times from parents that they can't absorb um, the information that's coming at them on the dying day of their child. And so we give them the opportunity to come in and meet with the medical team. And so it turns out that I usually call a few weeks to a month after that. So time has calmed down the details, but also now there's, it's, they're out a few months. They're thinking, wow, this is what my life is. Um, they may be ready to experience and hear about resources that are available. And so that's, you know, that's about the time. Now, that being said, many times people reach out to me because we have resources online. They start receiving our mailings. They hear from somebody. They may be listening to this radio show. And so all of my phone number, my email is all available at Primary Children's Hospital 
um, bereavement program online. And for those who have just joined us, this is Leanne Moore. She's a bereavement coordinator at Primary Children's Hospital. It's a difficult conversation to have not only, um, not only as individuals who might approach someone who's had a death in their family, but it's a topic we don't talk much about, is it? No, we don't. And that's why I'm quite proud that I get to do this sort of work and to offer to families um, the opportunity to hear, to listen, to listen to their stories, to talk about their child, um, to connect them with resources and support for their families if that's something they need. In fact, uh, let's tap into your expertise because often when somebody does have a loved one who passes away, the other friends and support groups don't know what to say, don't know what to do. Can you guide us a bit on what we can do to be more supportive and empathetic to understand um, the feelings of parents who are grieving? Frequently, um, parents tell me the things that people say that they are really happy to hear and also that are very difficult. So I'd like to answer that question um, with... When you see someone, let's say, for example, in the grocery store, and you you know that their child's died, I always encourage family, a person, to walk up to them and to be direct, to be honest, and to be kind. And say, for example, Debbie, I am so sorry to hear that Alex died by suicide or by car wreck. I am so sorry for your sorrow and want you to know I'm really at a loss of words for what to say, but I'm available to help you with errands or to listen. And then listen. Look them in the eye and hear what they have to say about their child and use their child's name or their loved one's name. People want to remember their loved one. So use their name. So using their name gives that person who's grieving permission to recognize the life and, and the love that they had for that person. It's, tell me a little bit more about that. Many times parents talk about, oh, I just want to hear Janie's name or I want to hear someone ask me about Sam. And when you talk to someone, you want to say their name because that brings them alive. That brings their experiences, um, funny memories, tender moments that they can relate and share with you by using their name. It means they're weaving that person who's no longer here back into their life and still living and still functioning, but also remembering. And that's so important and valuable. And as you mentioned, you said it would be okay to mention the way the child died, because especially tender subjects like suicide, we're even more, we tiptoe even more around because we just don't know how to do that. Why is that um, how, why should we feel comfortable talking or bringing that out in the open? From what we hear from many people and from organizations that work specifically with suicide or homicide is that it's, it's important to be direct and to, to let them know that you know and that you're open to talking about it. But it's not, you're not using that term to gather details. You're just acknowledging how that person died. And so it's being open and honest and having a conversation, which is what we're trying to do. So um, tell me about some of the experiences parents who are grieving go through as we as a society are still learning about how to help them. 
maybe you could elaborate on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like in other words, um, for those of us who've not lost a child and we are dealing with that, that dramatic and traumatic emptiness that we're feeling in our life, are there other things that we are also dealing with because the people in our life don't know what to do to support us? In other words, do they become, tend to become more isolated because they feel like they can't talk to others? Is, is, is that part of the difficulty of the grieving process is the relationships have changed in their life. Work coworkers don't know how to have open conversations or, or even have normalcy again. Yes. Thank you for elaborating. It is specifically difficult when a child dies or when a loved one dies because we do have to learn to navigate our life again, right? I mean, we have to figure out, well, we're going to work. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to pay our bills. But we also get taken back by a song or a smell or or a thought or a feeling that we might experience. Someone might say something to us and have a particularly difficult moment or be tearful. And I I encourage people to acknowledge that moments and time can be difficult and to be generous and kind with people as they find their way back into their workplace or their role in their church group or their community and to give them some space to be sad. There's no rushing. There's no um, way to say that the way one person does it is better than another. It's different and so subjective and personal but give people be generous be kind listen and use their child's name or their loved one's name when you talk to them as part of the healthy mind matters um, campaign that we've joined with intermountain Healthcare, we've talked about the importance of opening up communication Mm -hmm. and so you've done a beautiful job giving us some tools and strategies on how to have uh, that awkward conversation. So it moves from us feeling hesitant about what to say and do to feeling like we actually can offer um, help and, and an open arms. When should we be talking with our family members about death in general? Because it's not something that we typically talk about when we're preparing our children as they grow up through life because it's such a, 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 an emotional topic. Is it something that is we should be discussing as a family? I think that it's this is a time in our lives to embrace the opportunity to talk about how we want to live our lives. And in doing that, we also have to talk about how what we think about death and how we want to live our life means looking at how we want to die um, in terms of what's important to us. Um, and, and it's not necessarily a conversation you're going to sit down and have with your kids because there are online resources. There are people that help you listen and explore ideas about what death is. And many times people are just so frightened to even say the word. And yet by talking about it, it actually helps you live more freely. So for example, there are a couple of online groups that um, I'm familiar with that I really suggest that people explore before they're in the moment of having a crisis and having to deal with someone dying. For example, having a conversation um, with a group of loved ones over dinner, and you can utilize a website called Death Over Dinner. And that website will walk you through, how do you ask, you know, six to eight people to come to your house, shared a meal And have a conversation. And they provide you with the tools. The tools might be a video to watch, uh, a a 
short two-page document to read and something to listen to. And then you sit over dinner and someone acts as a facilitator and you talk about those different things. It's just cracking the door open. Or look at a podcast called Death Hangout. There's some great, entertaining, sad, thoughtful, educational podcasts that talk about death that you can do in your own home. Why is it important for us to talk about death? Because it's the great leveler and we're all going to be faced with it. And it's so frightening. And we know that fear, fear gets us, motivates us to behave in strange and unusual ways and can also be quite frightening. And if we look at our fears, we, we have the potential to live more richly. So we, I strongly encourage people to talk about death, not every single day, not every single moment at every single dinner party. But explore it. Explore your fears. Think about it. Demystify it a bit. Demystify it. it. Feel it. It's, you know, my husband, we've been married 30 years. He still can't talk about the possibility of my passing. And I said, it's something that we have to talk about because it is part of life. But it is that fear already, that anxiety that someone you care about might be gone. And And I am so thankful that you've even had that initial conversation. Because you'll see that that fear paralyzes people. And yet you've had that first conversation. So maybe next time you'll go a little further. Or maybe you'll suggest, hey, why don't we read this book? Or why don't we see this movie? And then a conversation kind of comes out of those books and movies and podcasts. And then that way when a loved one, we we lose a loved one, we have a little bit more emotional preparedness for for the grief that's going to come our way. We certainly have been exposed to the the idea and had some thinking about it and um, maybe some emotional preparedness for sure. For, for the inevitabil- yeah. uh, inevitability. For those who've just joined us, Leanne Morse is with us. She's a bereavement coordinator with Intermountain Healthcare and Primary Children's Hospital. You mentioned that as parents are grieving, let's say their child who's been taken care of by Primary Children's Hospital has passed away, that there are support groups for mothers and for fathers. Let's talk a little bit about those. And there's one particularly for mothers. Yes, we have a mother's grief group that starts in February. It's an open group, which means we invite any mother who's experienced the death of a child to join us. It's an open group. It's free of charge. It lasts about an hour and a half, and each month we have a different topic. So we recognize that as clinicians, we want to provide some education, but we also know that parents as a peer, as a parent who has had a child die, they will offer insights and listening ears that are incredibly valuable. So that's our mother's group. Um, This February, for the first time, we'll be offering a dad's group that is also free of charge, and it's offered uh, three Wednesdays in a row, starting in February. It's two hours. It's actually what we call a closed group. So we're looking at having dads register, and this is actually going to be facilitated by male clinicians. And then we have a family grief group that we offer in October and the first week of November. That's a six-week group that um, explores the educational pieces around grief and mourning, as well as having parents speak with each other about their losses. With the kids, we bring in the siblings and we utilize the clinicians that we have at Primary Children's, including our child life staff, our music and art therapists in expressive therapy, to to encourage the kids to feel into their feelings about the death of their brother or sister, 
to talk about it, to find others who have had a brother or sister die, and to explore ways that they can express how they feel about their brother or sister's death. That seems so powerful because a dear loved one who lost their teenage daughter, they were, the parents expressed to me that they were in such shock and in such grief. They didn't feel like they had the typical parental tools available to help their own children who were grieving. Is that common? It is um, incredibly common, and there are other resources along the Wasatch Front to help parents and to help um, children who have experienced the death of a loved one, be it a brother or sister, a mother or father, a primary caregiver, grandparent. So it is very common. Is it um, the same principle where you encouraged us to have a direct conversation with a parent who's lost a child to to mention that that child's name, um, say directly you're sorry for their loss and have that conversation shoulders back and directly? Is that the same principle if we have a child in our neighborhood who has lost a sibling? Typically, we'll try to protect that child's childhood. Walk us through what we do to help support those children. Well, Many parents ask that in our loving community of big families. Um, I will say that it depends on the child's age. And you look at the developmental age of the child because a two-year-old is going to be a lot different than an eight-year-old, than a 13-year-old, than a 19-year-old young adult. And so that child knows that their brother or sisters died and their family is sad and sorrowful. So looking at an eight-year-old, You want to acknowledge the death of their child. You want to be aware of their sibling. You want to be aware of what, how the parents are interacting with them. Some parents manage it differently, and we respect how parents interact with their children um, in terms of how the child died or this parent died. But we encourage you to be direct and honest and loving and to acknowledge that they have experienced this death. You mentioned that there are those uh, support groups and that there is bereavement counseling available with Intermountain Healthcare. Is it typical that you may find a husband and a wife requiring individual counseling for the losses of their children rather than a couple's experience or a family's experience? Um, what we know about grief and mourning is that the vast majority of people will find a way to weave this experience, this sorrowful experience into their life with their family, with their extended community, with their church family, um, and within their own personal primary family. At times, there will be a need for a therapeutic intervention. And that's actually part of the reason I called, to see if you know they rise to that occasion. And we make referrals to people that... Um, um, need, that offer services directly aimed at working with death and bereavement and loss. And so there are therapists that have that specialty. There are many therapists that have that specialty. Yes. And we can look towards that and as well. Many times parents just would like some additional support or some education. And so that leads me as a being a resource for primary children's, which actually covers five states, um, to suggest other locations, such as the Center for Grieving Children in Ogden, um, Caring Connections with the University of Utah. They have uh, groups available across the Wasatch Front. The Sharing Place, which offers parent and children's support. And the Bradley Center, which also offers 
parent and family support. And we've had friends and family go to the Bradley Center and and find that sense of community and support as they walk through that door. And so I can speak to that, that that they felt like here's a place that understands us Mm -hmm. and we're going to go together. I'm actually a a volunteer facilitator at the Bradley Center, and I work um, with primarily the littles, which are the kids five to eight. And that program is community-driven. It's peer-to-peer support, um, and it is well-run and a very valuable member of the grief and mourning community along the Wasatch Front. It's been very... um educational, informational, and helpful to have you with us today. Leanne Morse, the bereavement coordinator with Intermountain Healthcare and Primary Children's Hospital. You've mentioned there are a lot of resources online. Before we let you go, where can we go as maybe an umbrella? Should we be going to Primary Children's website to find some of these resources, or what is your recommendation? Um, Thanks for asking that. Primary Children's website under bereavement program actually has a list of resources, electronic resources that are, that will cover the gamut of types of death or ages of death uh, websites, as well as um, book suggestions for grandparents, parents, teenagers, littles, and middles, children. And so I strongly suggest that people look at that. Uh, The Alliance for Grieving Children, um, there is the Sharing Place, Uh, The Bradley Center and Caring Connections all offer online resources and connection to um, resources that can be very helpful to families who are living with the death of a loved one. Leanne Morris, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. The Primary Children's webpage, the general webpage, is primarychildrens.org, and then look for the information on bereavement. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me.